This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy Christmas Eve, Eve. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. I can't believe the time has finally come, Ryan. Where does that reference come from? Is it a friend's what? reference? Happy Christmas Eve, Eve. No, just what people call tonight. Eve, Eve. Christmas Eve, Eve. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that was like a Friends reference or a TV reference. I don't know. Well, I'm super excited about it. Christmas, the 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 spirit, the feeling is here. And I still have yet to go Christmas shopping. So whatever. Wow, I guess uh, you're the Grinch. Actually, uh, for, I think that's pretty on brand for this holiday. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm okay Actually, didn't you win our, our staff holiday party? Or, you know, Channel Q's holiday party with your Grinch backgrounds? I did. I did. It was virtual and we had a competition, which I have not gotten my money yet. <laughs> but I'm expecting it. We'll see it soon, you know. Well, uh, I know our program director is listening. So that was your hint. <laughs> you know what I got today that was really surprising? What? I was at Starbucks, so I go in instead of doing the drive-thru because it was too long of a line. And I never go in, but I decide to go in. The police were right there. And I was just like, all right. So then after I make my order, they come in and they say, miss, can we speak to you, please? And I, of course, get a bit worried, right? And they You're say, always going to be fine. You're a white woman. I appreciate that. Although I've gotten more tickets than you <laughs> can think. That doesn't mean I'm, that you're still I'm alive. I'm trying to get out of it. You're I'm still, trying to use my privilege. You're still alive, yeah, Sheer. <laughs> So, so, but, so moving on. Uh, so basically they go, well, you're one of the only people to say hi to us and you're wearing festive clothing. So they gave me a Starbucks card. <laughs> what was this? Like a prank on Ellen or something? Like, were you oh, secretly like, yeah, on TV? I mean, no. And so I was like, that's really hilarious. Okay. I'm like, and you don't want to give it to me. I don't need it. They're like, no, take it. You were nice to us. And then they took Gross. a picture with me. Yeah. They took a picture with what me. What are you, like asked, five? You were like a five-year-old playing and honking and turning on the sirens on a, a police car? It's weird. Told them to tag me on Instagram. But that might have been weird if I shared a picture of me with the police. Yeah. Um, a bit toned up to 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Ending the year in a problematic way. For so sure. So that didn't happen. That's on brand. Anyway, um, well, there you go. But let's get into some uh, what's trending this hour. And by the way, coming up on the show, we're going to be talking about this new docu-series that's humanizing the stripper experience in Los Angeles, plus when and how to cut off toxic family members in your life. And now on to those headlines of the day. President-elect Joe Biden mentioned the S word today. I heard there was a sighting of a sleigh in Santa Claus 
He's been circling around to see what he's going to do. And by S word, I meant Santa Claus. <laughs> and we hope Santa is wearing a mask too. I mean, Santa's magical. He can't catch COVID. Oh, that's true. Thank you yeah. for bringing that up. That makes sense. Senator Rand Paul is speaking up about the COVID-19 relief bill. Here he is on Fox and Friends talking about how Americans don't need money right now. I think giving money, though, to people who are already working. Look, my kids are working and don't need a check. They're not rich, but they don't need a check. And most working Americans don't need a check right now. It's a really foolish, egg-headed, left-wing socialist idea to pass out free money to people. I mean, he's obviously also unaware of the data that shows that even with two jobs, people can barely support themselves or their families here in this country. President Trump vetoed the annual defense spending bill today, triggering plans for Congress to return from their holiday break to potentially override his decision. Man, he's making them work a lot. The bill recently passed both chambers of Congress by veto-proof majorities, and it was a $740 billion defense bill. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so you know how we talked about Lizzo, how she got her mom a new car for the holidays? Well, Diddy is one-upping everyone with this surprise gift for his mom. Let's dive into the T-Report, those pop culture moments that are trending right now. So, you know, he went all out to celebrate his mom, Janice Combs' 80th birthday, which is a huge deal. Um, the music mogul threw a birthday dinner where he and his children showered her with gifts. Diddy gave his mom a million-dollar check and a new Bentley with a driver. You know, me and other folks online were, of course, wondering, though, could Diddy please read the room? Maybe don't post on social media flaunting how rich you are when people are literally like fighting to get food on the table and their lights on. I mean, that's just me. You know, do they have a point, Shira? Is this something that he could have just kept in private? It's a lot. I mean, it, it begs the question, why are you doing this? Are you doing this just for your mom? Or are you doing it to show off? Yeah, I mean, he normally shows off all of his extravagant parties that he exactly. has. Like, he's known to be a party person. But still, like, that is intense when people are literally, like, begging the government for money. But that's your business. I get it. But just please keep it to yourself. It's exactly why I didn't share the picture of me with the police who gave me the Starbucks card. Yeah, that's a different thing. But okay, you know, I got more tea report coming up next hour. And of course, we're going to be talking about how Amy Schumer should probably start keeping her punchlines to herself because she's getting herself into some trouble. Okay, well, coming up next, Alex Padilla is filling VP elect President Kamala Harris's seat as Senator of California, who he is and why he was chosen next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Governor Gavin Newsom announced Alex Padilla is filling VP-elect Kamala Harris's California Senate seat. Now joining us is Drexel Hurd, executive director of the L.A. Democratic Party. It's been so long. Great to have you here. Greetings, everyone. How are you? Good. I mean, better than I guess we were when the election was happening. I know. That's how long it's been since I've talked to you guys and you guys are looking healthy and well as we're on this Zoom call. Yeah. Thank you. So let's talk about Alex Padilla. All right, a lot of people don't know who he is. So, like, can you share a little bit of a background? Sure. Well, you know what's so interesting is that Alex is from the San Fernando Valley, and uh, I live in the San Fernando Valley and have lived in the San Fernando Valley since we moved here to Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, Alex started out, um, you know, it's so weird. Like, now I'm going to have to call him Senator Padilla, and then, like, you know, but, but to, to, like, those around us who have, and him, you know, he's just like, just call me Alex. But, um, but you know, he, he started out, you know, as an, as an immigrant, uh, with an immigrant family, you know, his, his, uh, 
you know, his mom or dad was, you know, flipping pancakes. His dad was working in the field, you know, uh, digging ditches. And, and uh, he went to public school just like everyone else here in the San Fernando Valley. Actually, he's really good friends with Assemblywoman uh, Luz Rivas, who uh, he grew up with here in the 39th Assembly District. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then he worked his way up by the age of 26. Uh, you know, he became the youngest uh, L.A. City Council president. And then went on to become a state senator, and then went on to become Secretary of State, and now our next U.S. senator. So, um, you know, the, this has been a trajectory, uh, but he has been that guy who has been fighting uh, for uh, Californians in the sense of what California values actually, the things that actually matter to Californians on climate change, on education, on gun safety. And then, of course, as Secretary of State, you know, his goal was uh, to reach. Uh, to hit about a million vo new voters by the time that this election happened. And uh, during his time, he hit 4 million new voters by the time the 2020 election happened, uh, when he was elected in 2018 uh, as Secretary of State. So, you know, he's got a wide uh, breadth of, of experience, and, and we're really excited for him uh, to be our next senator. Yeah, I think it's exciting for him to have this, right? I mean, he is historic in this in this way um but it, it does leave the upper chamber with no black women and i think a lot of people are bringing up this talking point and saying like oh there's a, something missing now how do you think we should be having this conversation this type of discourse when looking and talking about representation when it comes to you know needing black women in these spaces and just marginalized groups in these spaces in general yeah i think it's going to be an important conversation that we're going to continue to have we know that black voters uh, propelled Joe Biden uh, and Kamala Harris to the White House, at least Joe Biden, at least through the primary. Uh, and if you saw a statement that, uh, you know, we put out yesterday from uh, L.A. County Democratic Party Chair Mark Gonzalez, you know, he addressed that issue uh, of, of having uh, of the realization that Democrats have to do more in redoubling our efforts uh, to recruit uh, black candidates, to guide black candidates and to uplift those black candidates um, and, and getting uh, black electeds. Uh, in places um, where it's easier uh, sometimes for white politicians or, um, you know, people with fairer skin and, and certainly here in California. So I think that uh, this is definitely a conversation that we're going to have. I think if you saw the statement from Taisha Brown, who's the chair of the African-American caucus to the California Democratic Party, that's something that California uh, black voters are going to be uh, looking at. Even with the appointment of Dr. Shirley Weber as our next secretary of state, there's going to be a lot um, that we're going to need to do uh, to get black uh, folks ready to run. And uh, as the, you know, the first black executive director of, uh, of LA's Democratic Party, and certainly the youngest, that has certainly been my focus since I came in uh, one year ago, like two weeks ago. So. Oh, congratulations. Oh, wow. Thanks. Again, you're hearing from Drexel Hurd, the executive director of the LA Democratic Party. Uh, do you think this will, him being a Democrat and uh, a Latino, do you think this will shift uh, their voting, uh, I guess, behavior because we saw them, you know, move towards red states, a lot of votes in the Hispanic community? I Listen, California is its own little bubble, right? Like we have our very own specific view on politics. We're the most progressive state in the nation. Um, so I think that that's going to be a challenge for Alex, um, you know, going into this. I'm sure he's going to focus uh, hopefully on criminal justice reform like Senator Harris did. Uh, he's actually going into an election of his own as he's, uh, you know, already announced that he's going to run in the next election uh, as the next U.S. senator. So we're going to start to see a little bit of a shift into what his priorities 
priorities are going to be. And then it's going to all come down to what committees that he's going to be on. He's not going to be on the same committees that Kamala was on uh, because they have very, they come from very different backgrounds and mm -hmm. have very different experiences. So what Alex is going to focus on um, uh, is, is definitely going to be something to watch, uh, not only in his, his short time as, as U.S. Senator, um, but as he goes through his next election. All right. That was Drexel Hurd, executive director of the L.A. Democratic Party. Thanks again for being here. Thanks, guys. Have Merry Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas. Now, uh, coming up on the show, Trump's trying to take credit again. Will Americans actually get the 2K that Trump is demanding for the COVID relief bill? We'll be back with The Washington Post right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Trump's sudden announcement about the COVID relief bill last night put a wrench in the $900 billion agreement. And joining us right now is opinion writer from The Washington Post, Paul Waldman. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So what is Trump's strategy with all of this? And just to pop in so last minute, it's almost insulting to Congress and the American people. Well, I think with Trump, it's always best to assume that he doesn't really necessarily have a strategy. He's extremely impulsive. You know, he could have done this a long time ago, forced an agreement if he had really wanted to. Um, but it's almost as though things just sort of come across his radar screen. And then he decides in this case that he's going to try to be more generous to people and start advocating for $2,000 checks instead of $600 checks. And it's really difficult if you try to discern some kind of strategy. I mean, if you think about the position that he's in right now, what does he want? Well, he wants to keep control of the party after he's out of office. There are a lot of different ways that he can do that, but this doesn't really help him. Um, and to a certain degree, it doesn't really matter to him one way or another, whether there's a relief bill or not. The people who really care about it a lot are Joe Biden, Democrats in Congress, and Republicans in Congress. And I should say also, the only reason it's going to happen at all is because there is uh, these two Senate races that are going on in Georgia. Uh, Mitch McConnell said on a conference call with his Republican colleagues last week that Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, the two incumbent Republicans, were getting hammered because there wasn't a relief bill. And so they want to pass something so that those two Republicans can say to the voters, look, you know, we delivered for you. But if it were not for that, if those races did not go to a runoff, McConnell wouldn't allow anything to go through because he has a plan to make sure that things are as bad as possible for Joe Biden to basically sabotage his presidency. And that's the only reason why there's going to be a bill at all. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild what we're seeing here in the sense of politics that is, are being played um, when especially lives are on the line, right? And um, I'm interested in your perspective to know, is this something that we're seeing? Obviously, you said that this is Mitch McConnell's way mm -hmm. of like destroying Joe Biden's kind of, um, you know, his time and his term here. But also, is this a ploy to make sure that all other Republicans kind of benefit from the Trump supporters um, to make sure to kind of carry them over in the rest of their terms as we're seeing forth? Well, that's going to be one of the key dynamics really of the next couple of years. You know, Trump is going to leave office, but he's not going to leave. He is still going to be on Twitter. He's going to be telling people that he might run for president again in 2024. And that is going to keep his grip on all those, all those supporters that he has. And you know, there's a there's an old saying that Democrats hate their base and Republicans fear their base. Well, Republicans are absolutely terrified of Trump voters. The average senator or congressman, they don't want to do anything that's going to get them mad. And they know that Trump is out there just waiting to look for 
to, say, promote primary challenges against them. So, for instance, you take the, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, who is extremely conservative. He aroused Trump's ire by refusing, basically, to try to steal the election for him in Georgia. And now Trump is out there saying he's, he wants to find somebody to run against Kemp in a primary. That terrifies Republicans. They don't want the same thing to happen to him. And so, so even after he's no longer president, they're going to want to sort of play to his loyal supporters and make sure that they don't insult him, they don't offend him. Um, and it's going to be a real problem for a lot of them, especially because on January 6th, they're going to have to basically vote to confirm the results of the election. And Trump is going to treat that as a loyalty test. And if you don't try to gum up the works and stop Joe Biden from becoming president in this kind of last ditch effort, then he's going to take that as a betrayal. And so that is going to govern everything that happens inside the Republican Party for the next couple of years. This is wild. Again, we're talking to opinion writer from The Washington Post, Paul Waldman. So with that said, what happens next? I mean, the plan was for this bill to be done and closed before the end of the year. Does this mean that's not happening? Well, we still don't know. Um, you know, Trump said, oh, he he doesn't like it because he wants the, the checks that are going out to be $2,000 instead of $600. Democrats immediately said, well, that would be great. That's what we, we also, wanted it to be more all along. Trump has been saying that, by the way. He's been saying this $2,000 number for, I feel like, months at this point. Yeah. And so so now the question is, will Mitch McConnell allow that to get a vote? And, uh, you know, he's, he's Trump has now put Republicans in a very, very awkward position because they'd rather that it just be as small as possible. Yeah. Um, but they also want to look like they're trying to help the public. And so Democrats are saying, fine, we agree with Trump. Let's make it 2000. And presumably, if that passes, then Trump will sign it. Uh, the, the big question is. Will McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate go along with it? And so far, we just don't know. I mean, I found it humorous that he blamed it on Democrats when you have someone like Rand Paul saying that he doesn't even think anyone should get any money. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's what a lot of Republicans believe. You know, this came up a lot when we were when they were uh, talking about extending unemployment benefits. You know, it was actually extremely generous what was in the CARES Act, an extra six hundred dollars a week for people who were on unemployment. Uh, some Democrats managed to kind of wedge that in at the last minute. But it always kind of stuck in Republicans craw. And they were, you know, expressing this great deal of concern that people would become lazy and just wouldn't want to go back to work. And so they don't want there to be enhanced employment benefits. They, their goal is basically to do as little as possible. Whatever is demanded by politics, they'll do up to that point, but no more. Because just from an ideological standpoint, they don't want to give support to people. They think that, you know, you should basically, if, you know, if you're unemployed, tough luck. And so... Yeah. Uh, so they, they're just always sort of judging what's the least that we can get away with politically, and that's where we'll position ourselves. All right. Well, that was opinion writer from The Washington Post, Paul Waldman. Thank you so much for being here. Mm, my pleasure. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, why Silicon Valley might be over. And Emmy-nominated creator of Stripped Los Angeles is joining us to discuss how the show is humanizing the adult entertainment industry. All right. Okay. Yep. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Senator Amy Klobuchar shared her frustration with Trump jumping in last minute to veto the relief bill after his own people negotiated the deal. What's outrageous to me is I want to see more direct payments, and I'm glad the Speaker of the House is bringing this up tomorrow. But President Trump had his own people in the room where it happens or on the Zoom where it happens or on the telephone. They were negotiating, Secretary Mnuchin. And so then suddenly he says, no, I don't like this, I don't like that. Well, what we need to do is he needs to sign this bill 
And then of course we can do additional payments, but it was his own party that was blocking them. Where was he? Where was he hiding out? I mean, what she says definitely resonates on both sides right now. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, we only hear from Amy Klobuchar when she's giving her opinion on something, which is great, but um, I'd rather not. Um, but I do agree with her in this sense. Like, I just feel like it just is ridiculous at this point. And screw Trump for trying to get the limelight of this moment, you know? Yep. Well, let's move on to what's happening in Texas. And I guess across the country, as usual, the U.S. is doing it their own way. Texas announced it will split from the CDC guidance on who should first get access to a COVID-19 vaccine. Texas's deviation is one of the earliest splits from the federal guidance. And that's according to Dr. Jen Cates of the Kaiser Family Foundation. More states are expected to break from the CDC's recommendation as they set their own priorities for who gets the next round of shots. And with a spike in new hospitalizations and Christmas on the way, Austin Public Health moved the area today to stage five of its COVID-19 risk-based guidelines. Health officials made the announcement during a press conference with Austin Mayor Steve Adler. They are asking everyone not to gather with anyone outside their household, regardless if they are at high risk for severe complications or not. They're also asking everyone to limit trips outside homes to just essential ones, like going to the grocery store or going to work as examples. Now, Austin Public Health is also suggesting that businesses go to a contactless-only payment system with curbside and delivery options, but they're not going to face any shutdowns like some of our, the other states. I mean, when we're in California, Governor Greg Abbott vowed not to shut down any businesses in Texas while he spoke at a press conference discussing the COVID-19 vaccine and distribution December 17th. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So leave it to Amy Schumer to keep the punchlines coming. But this one may have just gotten her into some trouble. Time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So it all started when Hilara or Hilaria, Hilaria. I think that's her name. Hilaria. Well, you know, Alec Baldwin's wife. Um, Well, she posted this photo of her and uh, with her and her newborn. So in that photo on Instagram, she was wearing like a bra and underwear showing off her body, et cetera, et cetera. I saw it. You know, you know how what? it goes. That popped up because I do follow Alec Baldwin. Oh. But, and so I think he reposted that and I was like, hello, that's a hot picture. And then I saw Amy post it and mm-hmm. I was like, at first it was like a double take. Yes. And then I realized, it was a joke because obviously that's not what Amy looked like after she had her baby. Well, let me explain that. I haven't even got to that part, but I love it. She is excited about the story. So here we go. Yeah. Well, the picture apparently caught Amy's eye because she reposted it on her page, except for as a holiday card from her and her baby boy saying, Jeannie and I wanted to wish everyone a happy holiday season. Enjoy it with whatever family members are talking to you this year. Um, so that post ended up being a place where people were like criticizing Hilaria, uh, saying like, Mom's bodies don't look like that, et cetera, et cetera. And here's what she had to like get on Instagram and say. Like she came on here reading, y'all. You know, critiquing why I might post a photo. And if I had looked differently, would I have posted that photo? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Because I love looking at photos, supporting our bodies, our temple that we live in 24-7. I love it. Doesn't matter what you look like. I love it. If you're honoring yourself and you're celebrating yourself, I love it now the problem is that sometimes we put down people's shapes now that might be you think the person is too thin that may be you think the person is too big the person is too this the person is too that but if you're doing body inclusivity 
that's body inclusivity for all. Now, I, if you, there's like the thing of like, oh, moms, moms don't look like that. Some moms do. This mom does. And I am included in the inclusivity. So yeah, what do you think about all of this? Like, is this, is this just like, I mean, uh, just a joke, a joke, just t- taking the wrong turn and the, it shouldn't have ended up being this big of a deal. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I thought it was funny when Amy posted it. I could see what she was saying. Cause it's true. There's a lot of women out there that don't look like that. That said, let's not shame on either way, right? Like we shouldn't be shaming people that have those types of bodies or other types of bodies. No one should be shamed. Yeah, yeah. And I think my thing is a lot of people actually caught the joke, uh, even though Hilaria said that she doesn't still get it. She's like, I'm not sure if I really understand the joke 100%. But she has shown her body after that. And she's been very honest about that. I mean, I wish she would get it because it's obvious. Like, And good on her, by the way, for having a sick kick-ass body but you know you should everyone i would make recommend everyone watch the full video it's about three minutes it's on hilarious instagram where she's literally talking about how she does understand how to take a joke but i think it's the people's comments about like her yeah. posting that photo which in all honesty like why even post a photo but do what you want to honey because that is your tea report and i got more of course coming up next and we're talking all about tiger king and how i can Ooh. finally say i agree with carol baskin about <sighs> something oh all all right. Well, coming up on the show next, why Strip Los Angeles has become one of the top watched docs during the pandemic about the adult entertainment industry. We'll be back in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. This year, the adult entertainment industry was heavily hit. Here on the show, we covered unique ways the community is continuing business during the pandemic to new laws passed to unionize their work. Now, Strip Los Angeles is a docuseries on stars that touches on all of this. It premiered in October. And joining us right now is Mark Ostrich, award-winning and Emmy-nominated creator of Stripped Los Angeles. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Shira. And hi, nice to meet you, Ryan. Nice to meet you. I've heard tons about you, though. So I'm excited to have you on. It's great to be here. Congrats on this. It's the number one documentary on stars for the last three months. How is this different than other series or docs we've seen on the industry? For me, I wanted to just be able to provide a space for these dancers to be able to let their voice be heard without additional commentary, things like that, what, what I'm trying to impose on it. So it's really allowing them in their own voice to tell their story and explore the themes that surround uh, the industry, what makes it appealing to them, uh, some of the pitfalls, some of their aspirations and dreams, and just show them as every other human being that's walking the planet, just like everybody else. Yeah, you're, you're wanting to humanize their experience, which is uh, powerful. And I think um, when I'm seeing something like this, I watched the trailer. I haven't seen the series yet, but I can't wait to check it out. And when I saw the trailer, I was wondering, I think the first thing that popped in my mind was why you? Why do you think that you were like qualified to tell the story? Right. So I've been making films for about 25 years now. Um, I've always been interested in the human experience and you know, being able to tell these stories, these human stories, in a way for me is a, is a gift. Uh, the company Mill Creek Entertainment that's putting out the, the uh, documentaries, yeah. they have an originals department. I, I had worked with them in the past and they said, do you want to do some original programming? I pitched them some ideas and they basically came back to me and said, strippers. Oh, so they found, they, they found you. Basically. They were into it. 
they they said we want to do something on strippers that the data is showing you know honey are you a stripper that. man do, do they like oh i just know no, mark no, knows I'm, all the strippers <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually a soccer dad is my second occupation so as a, a beyond uh filmmaker so my first question when they said strippers is like let me talk to my wife number one and number <laughs> number two let me come up with an angle that i would be okay doing this under like, cause I, I want to find something that's aspirational and not, you know, your typical, you know, skin and max, you know, exploitative TNA, just straight out what you would normally expect. So I pitched them this humanizing aspect, the human story of these dancers and let them tell it in their own voice. And they just said, yeah, great. Perfect. Go do your thing. We love you as a filmmaker. We know you're going to do it. Great. Uh, just make sure there's a, some booby shots in there. And I'm like, <laughs> God, and I'm like, yeah, of course. It's like, I don't think that's going to be a problem. It is stars. <laughs> yeah. And this is before it got on to st- oh, this is, okay. it was complete independent documentary. And so, you know, uh, you know, it was it's almost like Donald Trump. I'm going to put so much, boob. you're going to be telling me to take the boobs out. That's how much boobs are going to be. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I appreciate your transparency. I mean, it's obvious. It's, it's hard not to have that when you're shooting this beautiful video. Exactly. These performers are very open and, and, transparent about their lives and were extremely generous with their time and uh, allowing me into their lives. Um, they saw my, my other work and the background work. And I think Los Angeles is going to be, was the hardest one to pull off because it was the first one. And so there, there is a time, the casting of who was going to be, and it took a lot of, a lot of time and energy because I want to find dancers that, that, you know, I wanted to portray in this, kind of positive light or at least give them the opportunity to show themselves in the best possible light that that they can. Again, uh, we're talking to Mark Ostrick, award-winning and Emmy-nominated creator of Stripped Los Angeles. I guess, what did you learn in producing this? Because as you mentioned, you are not in the industry. It's um, a lot for them to trust you with their stories. It is a lot. And I think, you know, not being in the adult industry or the sex work space in a way gives me a, a good outside perspective as an audience member. And being a filmmaker, you kind of have to have a duality about you as a writer, as any kind of creative, where you're inside the story, but you're also looking at it from the outside, almost like as an audience member and trying to ride that line of like, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. You know, I think that's what for me was the most appealing as a documentarian is going into a world that I normally don't explore. Yeah. You know, I've done shark week and that was amazing when I first started doing shark weeks and diving with, you know, huge apex predators. Um, and it, it kind of is what fascinates me about this topic. You know, it's, it's, it's something new. It's different. It's not something I normally would do. So how can I bring, you know, my best self to it and what can I learn, you know, from it taking away whatever preconceived notions I had of the industry so some of the things that I learned, you know, to get to your question is we are all human beings going through this planet with pretty much the same goals and, and aspirations. And the, the level of judgment and, and the stigmas that are placed on these women, I feel is, is completely unfair. And, you know, it's one of the last taboos where people could just dump on, make fun of, feel like they could say whatever they want, you know, to them. Uh, it's kind of like one of the last frontiers that is, and it's, and it's frankly to me sad how generally society portrays uh, exotic dancers. And, and I, I feel like it's time to, for people to kind of understand that 
these women are super brave. Number one, for just being part of the documentary and telling their story. But number two, they're just like everyone else trying to get through get through the day. Now, again, uh, thank you for joining us for this and for your work. It actually, I, I got chills watching the trailer. So I was, I was actually pretty impressed, Mark. Uh, again, you can watch Strip Los Angeles. It's streaming on Stars, Amazon, iTunes, Apple TV, all those spots. All and the places where you yeah. can watch TV. And uh, you're about to uh, shoot Strip to Vegas, so that will be coming very soon. Mark Ostrick, creator of Strip Los Angeles, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how long could we be wearing masks even after the COVID-19 vaccine? Plus, the inspiring story of a family who was once homeless, and now they're giving back to their community. Stay tuned for that story because it will bring you to tears. Quick question before we dive into the rest of the show. Uh Uh-huh. Once this is all over, do you think you'll still wear masks? Like, because, you know, some people were already wearing masks before all of this happened. Like, it was kind of like a style thing already. But, like, do you think you're going to, like, cautiously kind of still wear masks no matter what? Possibly. You know, and we're going to be talking about this in a bit. But, like, I don't know when that's going to end. It's going to be a while before people feel comfortable. Of course, there's going to be the people that are just excited not to wear it. But I feel like. I'm going to have it on me, right? I think it's going to be one of those things like you always have in your purse or your pocket. I agree. I think it's become one of those staple must-haves. Exactly. I mean, I bought them for my housemate. I bought some new masks for him for the holidays. Is that what you're giving out for Christmas? (laughs) Pretty much. That's what you're getting. Awful. (laughs) You know what? It's something. Okay, Ryan. You know, people need masks, and so you can never have enough masks. You're right. No, it's a good gift. It's a great gift. Oprah's favorite things type. Exactly. Right. Okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President-elect Biden has nominated former public school teacher Dr. Miguel Cardona for education secretary. In this critical moment of our nation's history, it's essential that there is an an educator serving as secretary of education. I want to make that clear again. An educator, someone who's taught in the classroom comes out of the classroom. Today, I'm pleased to announce that such a nominee we have, Dr. Miguel Cardona. Now, the uh, former chief of Connecticut schools started his career as an elementary school teacher and was Connecticut's principal of the year in 2012. How about that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, definitely a change from who Trump picked as the education secretary. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And big news, Andrew Yang, of course, we all knew him from the run for president. Now he's filed paperwork to run for mayor of New York City. So that's a pretty big deal. And a recent poll shows that he's got strong support. I just think that would be really cool. I'm a big fan of his, so we'll see. I mean, anything's better than Bill de Blasio, in all honesty. Um, And I think a lot of people like Andrew Yang. I think he's interesting. Uh And so, who knows? Well, that'll be interesting to see. And if he might try to implement his own little thing, you know, his own way of trying to make New York City better. It might just be the perfect thing that New York City needs. Yeah, imagine just one city taking on universal basic income. Is that even possible? I don't know. Now, uh, last-minute shoppers are running out of time to get gifts delivered by Christmas, as Ryan knows. (laughs) But uh, small and medium-sized businesses are hoping to capture those late holiday shoppers by offering local delivery powered by apps like Postmates, Roadie, and DoorDash, which can often deliver goods in a few hours 
or the next day. You know, we talked about how UPS, USPS, even FedEx are having major issues, right? So this could be a good alternative. Neighborhood retailers have been slow to offer these types of services in the past, but of course, the pandemic pushed many of these stores to expand their delivery options. So if you're having an issue, that could be an answer. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? I cannot believe I'm about to say this, but y'all, Carol Baskin is trending again, and it's for saying everything that we're already thinking. Yes, I think I may actually agree with her here. Okay. This is your tea report those pop culture moments that are trending right now. So, in a new interview, the Tiger King star adds more of her thoughts on the hit documentary. Here's what she had to say You know, I think it was a perfect storm that caused the popularity. We had all been locked in our rooms by Mother nature on march the 15th and then on march the 20th tiger king came out and so people were kind of thinking about nature i think and it was like well tigers you know and so that kind of rung a bell and then it was like a dumpster fire you just couldn't look away from it after you started i mean that was like a freak show like nobody's ever seen so i can see why so many people tuned into it and were talking about it yeah i mean she's right it was a complete dumpster fire and yes i couldn't stop watching it which is why everyone knows who she is but can you believe i think the real question here is can you believe that this was all this year like this happened I this know. year it, it, it's hard to believe. I mean, Tiger King feels like uh, part of our very deep past. Yeah, I mean, a past that I honestly don't want to continue to revisit. But if you That's want to, dark past. <laughs> I'm going to do a nice little Christmas present to our morning show, The Morning Beat. They okay. somehow uh, <laughs> went to the depths of the barrel and found yeah. every person that was in that documentary and interviewed them on The Morning Beat. So head over to WeirdChannelQ.com to check that out and any of the stories that I mentioned in our tea report today on the show. And of course, keep us followed at LGT Show everywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. I can't believe we're wrapping up this holiday show and, of course, ending it with a great Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes! Ho, 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 Queen. That okay. That be a little faster. Oh, oh yeah. I that was that. pretty nice, right? Kind of. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, in the wake of a storm that hit their community in Iowa and amid the pandemic, Bridget Williams Robinson and her husband, Javante Robinson, have provided hot meals and food for those in need in Cedar Rapids from underneath a highway overpass. Now, they're the parents of seven kids. They started Bridge Under the Bridge using their own food and resources to serve those who are still struggling to put food on the table. Sunday through Friday, we cook every day. It's not just people that are unemployed. It's people that are working that are just, just struggling. This is the person that lived next door to me that I never knew didn't have anything to eat. Just because a person smiles and drives a nice car doesn't mean that everything is okay. Feeding your kid at the end of the night should not be a decision you have to choose from. We couldn't help with tree removal and roof damage, but I knew how to cook and we had the means to help. So that's what we started to do. Now, this story is just amazing i love it they've found their raison d'etre i mean according to her husband like this is what lights her up and they're doing amazing work and so this is from good morning america by the way and they surprised her outside after they brought them on live with this trailer so she could cook outside and not get cold and deliver more meals so great stuff bridge under the bridge is again their organization check it out go support what they're doing 
And that's our Yas Queen of the day. Oh, I love stories like this. And it's so sweet and honestly gives me all the holiday cheery feels. So, Mm -hmm. yes. Ho, 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 queen. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but that's our last show before Christmas. Oh, yes. I was going to say, oh, (laughs) no. But yes, I am so excited. It's time for a vacay. I know. Christmas time. And a drink. I thought I was at least going to have a drink to toast this moment right now, but I guess we just went through the show so quickly and I lost track. (laughs) Well, now you can go have all the eggnog you want. Mm, Vegan eggnog, of course. I actually have never had eggnog. I'm not really into it. I'm not really. Yeah, I don't know why I said that. I'm not really an eggnog person either, to be honest. Well, there you go. Um, We so appreciate you for hanging out with us this entire year. And we are wishing you a very happy holiday. Enjoy this time, whether you're, you know, alone with your found family or your blood family, (laughs) your relatives. We hope you have a good. Your blood family. What is this? A vampire show? It's (laughs) all right. She's back in Halloween, folks. (laughs) Again, if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So why don't you binge listen to our podcast? You've got time on your hands. Just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search. Let's go there. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Happy holidays, everyone. Bye, y'all. Oh, my God. Ho, ho, ho. Have a good Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q.